Sweating like no other. <laughs> Welcome to our show. If one of us isn't sweating, it's not an episode of Two Girls on Ghost. Two Girls, my ghost. And we are your ghostesses. That's Corinne. Hey. And I'm Sabrina. And I know I already said it, but I can't get over it. Like, I feel like I just went and played soccer in 95 degrees and humidity in Florida in the middle of summer. And yet... Give the underboob sweat. Oh my God, everything. I'm like... If someone touched me, they'd be like, did you just jump into a pool? You know what I I do? Instead of calling myself sweaty, I just call myself dewy. And it's just so much more attractive. Yeah, the morning dew. It it is more attractive. I'm I'm so dewy right now. (laughs) I'm going to use that from now on. (laughs) Yeah, you should. Can I? I, I've done nothing but write and sit at my computer and write all day. Well, I did drink a lot of coffee. Your blood is pumping coffee, so that's why. Caffeine. Also, I have an odd thing, and here's my call to action to our listeners. Please, tell because me. Because this has been my whole life, and I've been told that it's weird, but I sweat a lot from my knees. The back of your knees not, or the front of your knees? No, the front, not the back. Oh. The front of my knees drip beads of sweat. Interesting. I've told you that before, but now that we're talking about sweating, it makes me makes me wonder, does anyone else have this knee <laughs> issue? <laughs> I, the back of my knees get sweaty. Yeah, see, that's normal because it's a crease. Yeah, I don't know. Front of the knee. The bulby front, the the fleshy front of your knee. I'm now touching my knee to see if it's sweaty, and it's the only part of my body that's like cold. (laughs) (laughs) I know. I used to have a personal trainer in like our senior year of college. And yeah, she was always like, it's so weird that my knee is wet. (laughs) That's like, I've never seen that before. You're so weird. I know. I'm an alien. And I love it. Oh, ma'am, a ma'am. Mail, my mail. We what? have mail. Tell me. Ding, ding, ding. Okay. So I'll have to bring these to you when we're, I guess, when this episode comes out. I think we're in Orlando. We're, yeah, in Orlando at Universal Halloween Horror Nights. I'm so excited. Can't so wait. I'll bring it to you there. But we have uh, two mail items that I'll tell you about. This one's totally for you. It says, Sabrina and Leia. Sorry, Corinne. <laughs> <laughs> It's from Tiki Pets. Oh my god, you're gonna lose it when oh my you god. see this. It's the most amazing. There's, I think she packed a hundred items in this. Wait, box. I want to see. There's you're... so much stuff for Leia. I want to see. Do you want me to? No, it's it fine. Okay, it's fine. There's gonna be some noise on this. It's okay. I'll. It's I'll just here. I'll grab a couple things. Okay, thank you. Like, look <gasps> at these. Oh my god, Leia is gonna. I want to eat that. I don't think you it should looks do that. So tempting. Ooh. Okay, here's a Tiki Cat Sticks with duck and creamy gravy. Honestly, I could eat these. With chicken and shrimp and creamy gravy? Oh, my God, Sabrina. You might not get this. (laughs) (laughs) Concerned. Now that I'm reading it, kind of sounds like Corinne food. I'm a concerned friend, Corinne. (laughs) Please don't. I'll be fine. Okay, and then we got another package. This is from our listener, Erin, and she sent us she sent us both these uh, bracelets that are so beautiful. I think she made them. And then she also sent us this, like, crystal guide book, and Ooh. she sent us tarot cards, <gasps> and they're, like, cat tarot cards and 
dog tarot cards. We finally have our own set of tarot cards. Now we have a few sets of tarot cards. It's amazing. I'm so excited. I know. I'm stoked too. I was like, yes! Wow. I constantly wonder what we've done in life to receive such support. I know. It's so incredible. I get so excited to get gifts too that I'm like, even when it's for Leia, I'm like, yay, someone loves me. <laughs> and then you make it yours because you'll eat it. <laughs> Wait, so I was at um, Lee Cahill and Marissa's birthday two weekends ago, probably more than that now, but I was there and I wanted to give a shout out to Monica and her sister. So Monica works with Marissa at Netflix and apparently... Marissa told me this whole story a long time ago. She was like, she's like, oh man, I have to show you a picture. She had just started her job at Netflix and one of her coworkers, Monica, had sent her a screenshot of her phone and it was a screenshot of a text, but on like the home screen, it showed that she was listening to our podcast. And Marissa was like, wait, you listen to that podcast? Like, that's my friend. And Monica was like, what the fuck? And <laughs> I finally met Monica a few weekends ago at Marissa's birthday and I FaceTime with her and her sister as her sister was driving to San Diego. And I just wanted to give them a shout out. I just felt so like special and like, what? That's so cool. How does this happen? I don't know. I don't know how it happens. Maybe. Oh, I have a follow-up ghost story about my mom. Oh my God. I'm so glad you remembered. It's been a while. I know. Because I forgot when I was telling you the story about her and our friend Lisa on the walk, I had this whole other story and I just don't know why I didn't even tell you. But You had to space it out for our listeners. Yeah. So here we go. Okay. So it's a good ghost. We have a good, nice, <gasps> kind ghost that's looking out for my mom. Oh, that's great. Because <laughs> here's this like really odd story. <laughs> it involves trash day at my house. Okay. So when the trash gets picked up, it gets picked up at 7 a.m. at our house. And so my mom on trash day, she sets her phone alarm for 7 just in case for some reason she sleeps. She usually wakes up earlier, but mm -hmm. just in case she sleeps through the 7 o'clock, she'll wake yeah. up. And like go out and take the trash out in time. Okay. So however many weeks ago, like three or four weeks ago at this point, she sets the alarm for 7 a.m. She goes to bed. And then the next morning, she wakes up at like 6 o'clock mm -hmm. in the morning, like 6.15-ish between that, those two times. Okay. Because there's knocking. And there's knocking downstairs on the door that goes from the garage into our house. Mm-hmm. That's creepy. Which – the garage door is locked and the house door on the inside is locked. So she's like – she wakes up and she's like a little hazy and she's like, oh, my gosh, there's knocking. And it wasn't really loud. It was like kind of soft, but she still heard it. And it was just knock, 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 oh knock, my gosh. knock, And that's also right where we keep the trash cans. Uh -huh. So it was just like knock, 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 knock. I would be terrified. I know you preface this by saying this is a good ghost, but I would be yeah. so scared if that happened. Well, she was confused. She didn't – she wasn't scared immediately because she was, like, working through scenarios in her mind. And she was like, oh, like, my dad must have locked himself out in the garage because the door was locked and he probably needed to come back into the house but was locked out. Mm -hmm. But then she was like, wait, no, he didn't sleep here last night. He was in New Hampshire at my grandparents' oh house. Oh, my gosh. And then she was like, okay, well, maybe it was the neighbor to come over <laughs> and remind me that it's trash day. And she was like – how would they get inside? Oh my no. God. And then she's like, maybe it was the trash people because my trash wasn't outside. And then she was like, wait, no, we don't get VIP service here. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what it is. But she was already awake at this point. So she's like, uh, 
I'll go check. And so she like looks outside. Nobody's outside. Mm-hmm. She's like kind of weary and goes and checks. And there's no one in the garage. Everything's still locked. And she's like, okay, that's really weird. But I'm up anyway. It's 6.15. I'll take the, the trash out to the curb. Okay. So she takes the trash out. And as she gets to the end of our driveway, the trash truck comes around the corner. It was it was like arriving 45 minutes early. Oh my gosh. So there was some ghost in our house. It was like, knock, 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 knock. Wake up. The trash is coming early. You're going to miss trash day. Oh, wait, that's so kind. I know. I love that. Isn't that so interesting? And the door that they had knocked at, it wasn't like the front door. They knocked on the door that's right next to right. the trash cans. Wow. Yeah. And my mom said it was also weird that she woke up because- like, if it were my dad, he would, like, bang really loud because my mm-hmm. mom sometimes puts the fan on at night to just, like, keep it cool, mm-hmm. help circulate the air. So she was like, it would have been hard to hear, like, the faint knocking, but somehow she heard it. Like, it wasn't wow. loud. It was polite knocking. Because it was meant for her to hear, so it was done in a way that she would hear it. Right. And to not star- startle her right. when she hides in a room, it was like – done in a way that was like okay it's time to get up and go about my day and first thing on my list take the trash out it's very kind i know that would be nice i um did something this is i don't have a ghost but i did something terrifying to nick the other day because i so monday wednesday friday i have yoga at 6 30 a.m so those are my like morning yogas and i wake up and i this is like last week i woke up on monday and i get my stuff together. I go, I walk out the door and I realize I forgot my keys. And our apartment door locks from the inside because we always have the bottom lock just locks on its own. And it's 6am and I have no keys, no way to get back into my apartment. So I go outside to like the yard area where our apartment window faces the complex. And I Mm -hmm. just like creep up the little hill and shine my flashlight into the window and Nick's fast asleep. And I'm like, Nick, Nick. (laughs) And the flashlight's like blaring on him and he wakes up so startled and terrified. I'm like, Nick, I'm sorry. It's me. I'm not, I'm not trying to hurt you. (laughs) I did that once in college. I had to knock on Marissa's window when she was asleep, but I was knocking and saying, don't be scared. It's me. (laughs) I'm so sorry. It's Corinne. Don't be scared. Still the most terrifying thing that anyone could ever do. Still horrifying. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, goodness. Okay. okay. We are doing a topic that was picked by one of our Patreon donors, Melissa, and she wanted to hear about haunted undergrounds. Yes, which I'm excited about because it's such a cool topic. It, it is totally cool. reminds me of Hey Arnold. You know how they like go underneath into the sewers and there's like the Rat King and just like whole mother world under I there. I love how you think of that and I think of like people living under my apartment or like living in the walls of my house and it terrifies me. Well, you me. also live in Los Angeles and they do have underground tunnels that people live in there. Yeah. But that's not what I picked. I picked Seattle, Washington. Oh, fun. We have a, quite a few friends from there and I really want to go. Okay, I'm excited. You can actually do tours of oh. this. So we could totally go and actually see it. Okay. Well, let's do it. All right. Seattle, Washington. There is an area downtown along the water which we've never been to Seattle, but apparently it's along the water of the downtown and according to Google Maps, and it's called Pioneer Square. And I looked at like the different shops and the streets as I do, and it looks pretty trendy. There are a bunch of like art galleries and trendy coffee shops, but then it's also mixed with all of these historical buildings. So it's like a really cool contrast. It almost reminds me a little bit of Boston. Oh, that's awesome. 
Yeah. And so people just like walk around, they enjoy the sights. They're like, oh, it's the historic part of Seattle. But what some tourists may not know is that they're walking on top of a city. Oh. So beneath their feet lies a city abandoned that's been abandoned for pretty much over a century. It's like a legit city? Yeah. Whoa. They built on top of it, which I'll tell you about. Okay. So back in the day, there were a bunch of Native American tribes that were operating in the Seattle area. And today there's even a totem pole that's placed in Pioneer Square area of town, bringing attention to like the indigenous people of this area and their history. And I think there's also a museum about all of the Native American tribes that had been existing in that area as well. And some of them still do. We like that. Yes. So back in the day, these people were living in this area and they had been for thousands of years. But unfortunately, as many stories go, the settlers didn't quite respect that. And in 1851, a man from Chicago and his crew found their way to what's now Seattle. And they were like, yep, this looks about right. We like this. We're going to stay here. We've now founded this land and we're calling it. I don't know if they called it Seattle right away, but it's now Seattle. Mm. And also, this is 1851. This isn't that long ago. Seattle's super new. Oh, whoa. 1851? That's not... It's a fresh city. Whoa. It's still a baby. Okay. I mean, in comparison to the rest of the world, all of right. America's baby. It's a, yeah, it's a baby. So these guys, they start to build the city and the downtown. But this is a real risky move because they're building right on the beach. Seattle's like right up onto the water and onto sand and onto the beach. Which, of course, you think like, oh, my gosh, who doesn't want waterfront property? But this also wasn't the best place to build, and the land would flood frequently, and this added to the already problematic sewage management at the time, which is Your worst nightmare. I know. I was, like, thinking about it. I was like, how does the flooding affect that? And now I'm just picturing, like, a flooded downtown with people's excrement just, like, floating on the sidewalks, your ankle deep, and, like, a little turd just... (laughs) You could just think of, like, a porta potty everywhere. Like, the inside of a porta potty just all over. That would have burned that place down to the ground if I... Oh, but that would smell so much even worse. Yeah. But actually, that's what happened. They did burn it. No! They didn't didn't mean to. Oh, no! On June 6th of 1889, only a few decades after the area had been settled... The Great Seattle Fire took place on about 30 blocks of the city. The cause of the fire was an overturned glue pot in a carpentry shop, which is like, whoops, one little thing just sets everything ablaze. 30 blocks from an overturned glue Damn. pot. I mean, it must have been real hot glue pot. Real hot glue pot. It's like a tongue twister. Right. But it was also a really dry summer, and most of the buildings were made of like timber, so... Pretty easy to set the city ablaze. Right. Easy for it to spread, too. But miraculously, Mm -hmm. out of 30 blocks of the city that was affected and burned down, there was only one fatality. It was a young boy. His name was James Goyne. Oh. Um, So he passed away. And then also, this is, like, even more disgusting and probably adds to the smells, a million, (laughs) I said, like, over a million rodents also died. (gasps) Which is, like, sad but gross. Yeah, I feel sad, but the, yeah, the smell combo. But, yeah. Oh, it reminds me of this past season of Stranger Things. Mm. That's what I picture. I have so much trouble watching, like, and even though I know it's fake and I work in television, watching like animals get injured on television hurts. 
Yes. I was wincing the other day because someone had a dachshund and they were wrapping the dachshund around their neck to take a picture, like wearing <gasps> him as a scarf. But no. They weren't holding on to him. And I was like lunging forward to try to support him. He looked so scared. And I was like, this is animal abuse. Yeah, don't do that. No, don't. Okay, so back to Seattle. They have this huge fire, and now the city's like, okay, we've got to change some stuff. We're only going to build with stone and brick. We're going to try to be fireproof, and we're going to put everything two stories above where it is now so that we stop the flooding from happening. So the city went around and they extended the walls of the buildings and then they filled in a lot of the lower levels or they would just like add earth in between the streets a couple blocks up so it was like a really big project they were basically like extending all of the shops up and try to put everything else underground if that makes sense that seems so time consuming so time consuming huge project So even though the plan was to move this entire city two stories higher, the walls were built in such a way that there was actually still narrow alleyways underneath and there was still access to some of the stores underneath. So it was like pretty funky for some time because in between this building, some of the buildings were being like built up, but then some people could still access some shops underneath. It was like really weird. Whoa. This like feels like it's out of a sci-fi movie. Doesn't it? It Yeah. I almost feel like I'm in Harry Potter. I don't know what happened in Harry Potter that would remind me of this, but I just, like, picture Diagon Alley for some reason when I'm picturing this. I I get that because it's, like, hidden behind it all. Right. So it was, like, weird, but eventually the sidewalks were redone and the entrances to shops and businesses were moved to the upper city, the new city above the old city. And then these narrow alleyways underneath were closed off. But, like, many of them I don't think were filled. They were just, like, closed. Wow. So the city was a little bit concerned now about these now underground tunnels, the city, and rats begun to infest the tunnels. And at the time, the bubonic plague was a real threat. So the city was like, yikes, we're closing the underground. Don't go under there. Avoid. Be careful. Yeah, that sounds smart. Right. It was supposed to be out of commission. But though there are no shops down there, and there was also the fear of the bubonic plague, it did not mean that people stopped using this old city. Mm-hmm. It instead became, you guessed it, a hot spot for illegal activity. So yep. there was gambling, there were brothels, there were opium dens, etc. And this happened for a few decades. But then in the 1940s, the tunnels were pretty much abandoned for good, and everybody forgot about this like really eerie city beneath them. Right, as we do. Right. But then around 20 years later, in the 1960s, a journalist named Bill Spidel, Spidel, I'm not sure how to pronounce it, but he took an interest in the abandoned city beneath his feet because at the time, Pioneer Square, this like historic, trendy, now historic, trendy area, Mm -hmm. this area of Seattle was the oldest part of Seattle. And it was totally in danger because it was the oldest neighborhood. And there were also talks of it being demolished and entirely rebuilt again. No. Yeah. So Bill was like, hey, I have an idea. I can research these tunnels underneath and maybe I can put together a tour and raise awareness and save some money or like raise some money, I guess, Mm -hmm. to save Pioneer Square and some of the historic buildings and the history in this area of downtown Seattle. That is so cool. Right. And so that's exactly what he did. He basically saved Pioneer Square and he was like, hooray, my plan worked. 
but not. I imagine him. He looked in the mirror in the morning and said, hooray, hooray. You're the best. You can do anything. I like your hair. Your clothes are cool. You're really smart. Giving himself a pep talk. Yeah. That, yeah. That, you like ripped that from every morning of mine. <laughs> I'm just picturing that viral video that went around like five years ago of that. She's grown now, but it was a video yeah, of that oh. woman when she was like five and she's standing up on her uh stool bathroom sink or somewhere being like you're the best i love you your hair is cool you're really nice just giving herself the best pet talk you should do it every morning so cute okay so bill's plan worked he saved pioneer square but he also started another tradition in uh his plan in doing that he started the tradition of underground tours So Bill has since passed, but the Bill Spidel underground tour is still in operation. Unfortunately, you can't just like freely walk through the entire underground city. It can be dangerous in some areas. So there are some walkways that have been made safe and you can go down and see some of the old stores and some of the businesses on these guided tours. But what's really cool cool about this is that it looks pretty much abandoned because although the shops and businesses moved, everything just like two stories higher a lot of the stuff was left down below so there's some spots where like furniture was just left that i guess they didn't need and it just looks like i think it looks way cooler than just like maybe a normal abandoned space that doesn't have anything in it because it has it is some stuff so cool it's so cool i'm looking at photos because i had to see for myself oh yeah well i'm going to tell you about some of the things that you might see in your photos because What else is down here in this abandoned, haunted city is ghosts, obviously, because it's haunted, and this is what this podcast is about. Oh, shit. So on the tour of Seattle's underground city, you will see a teller cage that was once in operation at a bank. The bank had been open for 24 hours a day, and it was like the go-to place for gold miners during the Klondike gold rush. Because remember, that's like... What happened in that time, like when Seattle was about founded and everyone was going to get rich. And so as soon as they found their little gold nuggets, they were like, oh, let me cash in right now. So this bank was doing really well because they were open 24 hours a day. Wow. So this bank was making people really happy. And now this teller stand that still sits in the underground, it gets a lot of activity, paranormal activity all the time. So the main spirit who haunts Seattle's underground is named Edward. He is believed to be a bank teller who was actually, he was killed by robbers who came to steal the gold from the bank or just like steal from anyone who was standing in line waiting to cash in. Oh, damn. So unfortunately, along with Edward, there was also another man, a gold miner, who was attacked alongside Edward and he was killed. He was waiting in line to cash in his gold. So sad. That's so sad. And both of these men have been seen in the underground city, but Edward is definitely the more prominent and, I guess, active spirit. Right. He is tall. He's dressed in a white dress shirt, black suspenders, and he dons a handlebar mustache. Ugh. I bet it looked amazing when he was alive. Big fan. Oh, my God. Yes. He sounds like quite the handsome feller. So many paranormal investigators have gone down into the city, obviously, because it's Mm -hmm. haunted and it's cool and it's abandoned. So they want to see what they can see. So around this area near the bank teller stand, they've captured a few EVPs. And they've captured 
Edward's voice. So he's been asked by various groups what his name is, and these groups will pretty much all capture the same thing. He'll say his name is Edward, or he'll call himself Eddie. Wow. And then another haunted area of Seattle Underground is the Oriental Hotel. This hotel used to be, like, the go-to spot for sex workers who, at the time in Seattle, were called the seamstresses. So people who go on tour have spotted women walking along the old sidewalks right by the Oriental Hotel. And women on the tour will also report feeling quite sad and depressed when they're in that area. It's very sad. These women who used to work the streets near the Oriental Hotel, they will also communicate with the paranormal investigators. So they too will have – there's been EVPs captured of them as well. That's really cool. So cool. And I love how vocal everybody is. They're just like chilling down there. Yeah. I mean, it's a whole city. city. It's a whole city. They're just like doing life. Yeah. So there was a group that was down there and they were posted up near the hotel and they heard a weird sound. And someone asked, if that's you, please give us a better sign. And right after that, there was a super loud bang. And the group member asked again, was that you? And a phantom voice responded, I kicked the can. And sure enough, there was a trash can right nearby. And when the paranormal investigators, like, kicked it themselves, it made the same noise that they had just heard. Wait, that is so cool. I love that they had to, like, that they had to explain it, you know? They didn't just, like, make a noise and be like, I'm present. They were just like, hey, I kicked the can. That was your sign. (laughs) Do you understand? That's, like, that's what I do after I make a joke. I'm like. Do you get it? It was funny because it because get this, it because what I said was because of that. <laughs> yeah, so that's what they did, and in that same area, people have also seen a woman in white. They've seen women peeking out of windows, and um, a couple had that was like on the tour. They had attempted to get a picture of themselves together, but when they looked back at the picture, a woman in Victoria era clothing was standing behind them. Someone that is was so cool. So cool. And I was like desperately trying to find the photo online, but I couldn't find it anywhere. So I don't know if it's actually posted anywhere. Uh, keep that stuff to yourself. Maybe they don't want to make everyone else haunted by sharing yeah. the photo. Uh, and then a sad story comes from the, I'm going to butcher this name too, Schwabacher's Basement. In 1892, the building was originally constructed as a hardware store, but it's been used for, like, many things since. Mm -hmm. And in the 70s, it was a homeless shelter. And it said that when it was operating as a homeless shelter, inside of the bathroom in the far back corner, a homeless man was murdered. And the spirit, or a spirit, has been seen in that area of the underground, and it's believed to be that man who was murdered. Let me turn on the lights in my living room. Hold on. You're scared? I'm scared. Okay. I didn't like all the darkness behind me. Yeah, it was definitely a little scary. Like if I had seen something really dark come out of that darkness, I would have I would have And I'm ran. Literally ran. arms distance because you know my room is tiny because I live in yeah. Beacon Hill. <laughs> so it would have touched me. Hand touching hands, reaching out, touching you, touching me. Don't encourage it. No. <laughs> okay. So This man who was believed to have been the murder victim at this homeless shelter, his spirit has been seen and people have both seen him with 
their eyes, like physically seeing him. And they've mm-hmm. also reported like just having a feeling that he's present. And this is the creepy part. They feel that he's standing above them. So I'm picturing him like hovering up he, in nope. space, which is really creepy. That's very, very scary. Right. And they haven't captured an EVP of this man, but they have captured a photograph with a very like cloudy sort of substance in mm-hmm. it. Um, and they've also picked up odd noises when tr- attempting to capture like a clear AVP in that area. Whoa. So what else is down here in Seattle's underground city? Some kids, some children. People, that makes me sad. Yeah. But also, what a fun playground in the afterlife. <laughs> That's true. They don't have to worry about like all the bubonic plague or whatever it is. That the, no, that they get they to, had to run be. freely through a city. Yeah. So people have heard the sound of children singing, and it's even been recorded on tape. And additionally, there's also a child in blue jeans and a t-shirt that's often spotted standing alone down there. Oh. But there are some other kids down there, too. And Mark Simpson, he worked for the Spooked in Seattle tours. Uh, It's another tour that utilizes Seattle's underground. But actually, I don't – I feel like I read that they don't go underground anymore. Or at least maybe they don't go to this part. But okay. Mark said that when he used to take tours underneath ground, they'd tell everybody about this little girl who they would, who the tour guides had seen running up and down the stairs. And to make right. peace with this little girl, to say like, hey, like, please give us permission to come down here with big groups. We don't mean to scare you, blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. They brought down a child-sized chair and a doll to give her. Oh, that's cute. Cute. And then apparently she liked it because the chair and the doll will move around. So when people will go back down, it'll be in a different spot. And the creepiest thing is one time they found the doll sitting on the floor with its little doll arms wrapped around the chair leg. Just holding on tight. That's cute, not creepy. I thought it was creepy. It'd be creepy if the doll started moving on its own while they were down there. Well, because that's what I'm thinking. Like, it doesn't seem – I mean, I guess maybe – I don't I don't know what the doll looks like. But instead of thinking, oh, the little girl just put the doll in that, in that position, mm-hmm. I was thinking that the doll itself was, like, consciously and actively holding its arms around the leg of the chair. Well, then that makes me nervous for the doll because the, the doll's like, I don't want to be played with by the ghost. Yeah, <laughs> She's like, don't touch me. Watch, it's like a demon inside of that doll. And like, he's so annoyed with being played with by the little girl. (laughs) She's like, get me out of here. Send me back to Zach Bagan's haunted museum. I can't take it. (laughs) All the demons want Zach. (laughs) Zach also wants all the demons. So I guess it's a good relationship. Mutual. Mm -hmm. There's also an area down in the abandoned city where the public baths were held. And there's a gift shop attached to that section, and employees in the tunnel have spotted a figure in the window of the gift shop peering out into the abandoned underground streets. And books have also flown from the shelves in this gift shop. Toilets, which I'm like, it says toilets have flushed on their own, but I'm like, how are there? Well, I guess they don't have to be running for a ghost to make a flushing noise. Because I was just assuming that there was no plumbing. But if it's in the gift shop, it makes sense. Yeah, perhaps. Paranormal investigators have also set up over there 
they've like attempted to make contact with the spirit who's like peering out of the windows or whoever's in there. Right. It could be multiple people. And there was when they set up, there was a fan on that was for like air circulation. And so they turned it off so that they could have a better and quieter space to capture an EVP. But the yeah. only thing they got in the recording, the only uh-huh. clear EVP was a spirit's voice saying, turn on the fan. Oh, they like the fan. <laughs> you and me both ghost. So funny. I just love that it. is I hilarious. Can, turn on the fan. These are very communicative ghosts. Super communicative. And they like, it's also like they don't, I feel like they're not, I almost feel like they're very settled and almost at peace because I feel like a lot of EVPs that are captured and like maybe I'm wrong because what do I know? I'm not a paranormal investigator. But Mm -hmm. I feel like oftentimes when we read about EVPs, it's like someone trying to get a message across or a warning or like some sort of contact. But these these spirits are just like hanging out. They're just like, hey, yeah, I just did this. Can you do that? Blah, 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 blah. They're chilling. Which makes me wonder if there's just this alternate timeline where the underground isn't underground. It's still part of the Seattle like life. And they aren't EVPs. They're communications with another timeline. A whole like matrix situation. Yeah. Or it's just like ever lost the book where these ghosts who have passed away still use the space as if it were existing as it were when they passed away. That's what I feel like they're doing. Mm-hmm. There's also an underground theater and this theater, I don't believe is part of the tour, but I know that paranormal investigators have gone to see what they could pick up in this theater. It used to be a burlesque theater back in the day. And there's a very negative presence that's said to exist there. So, like, so far, it seems like pretty benign spirits, people just, like, hanging out, having a good time, little kids or whatever. But here, there uh, seems to be something bad. The Mm -hmm. local Seattle ghost hunting group called A Ghost went there, and they set up surveillance equipment, like a voice recorder, and they also set up a motion-sensitive uh camera and they asked the spirits to make contact with them and so they placed a bunch of scrabble tiles in the room and then they closed and locked the door and then they left for two hours so it was basically like they set up the space left the spirits alone but were like hey if you want to give us a message please do they get like a word that's like 30 or 700 points and they win scrabble forever (laughs) yeah well they didn't do anything too intricate they wouldn't have gotten many points because when the investigators came back in they found some of the Scrabble tiles moved away and put together, and it spelled out cat. Which I'm like, that doesn't sound like an evil spirit. It sounds like maybe a child that's like, see? It a- sounds like me T- when cat. I'm a ghost, and all <laughs> I want is a cat, and I'm angry because no one will give me a damn cat. Right? Well, maybe for Christmas, Nick will get you a cat. <laughs> maybe. You've asked long enough. I know. So these investigators are like, oh, my God, this is thrilling. Let's go back. Let's check our cameras. They're motion sensitive. We for sure captured something. So they're super stoked. They check the cameras and the camera picks up absolutely nothing. But they know that the motion sensors were working because the camera did take pictures, but it took pictures of them setting up and leaving. And then it took absolutely nothing. And then the next picture it took was them coming back in to check on everything. Weird. The recorder, however, did capture 
something. It sounded like someone walked up to the recorder, but then there was absolutely nothing. So it was like footsteps walking like closer and closer and closer to the recorder. Just checking out what was there. Chills. Chills. Yeah. Wow. So that is the Seattle underground city. So much activity goes on there. And I, it kind of goes along with like the whole, if you build it, they will come. Apparently, if you uh, build an underground abandoned city, the spirits will take up residency. This is so fascinating. It's really, really interesting. As creepy as the idea of like an underground existing where I am right now, this Seattle underground is, I would love to go explore it. I think it's not creepy because we know it exists, but if I were to be surprised by the existence of an underground, that would be terrifying. Yeah, if you just happened upon it, oh, hell no. And then to like see someone down there too would be so spooky because I feel like if you were down there, you'd already be so like in such a heightened state, like your energy level, you'd already be nervous. And if you saw someone, I don't know if I would think like, oh, it's a spirit or if I'd be like, holy shit, I'm down here and someone else is down here and they're probably way more familiar with this area and I'm going to die. Well, yeah. I mean, I wonder if there are parts of the tunnels that haven't been discovered or that are off limits and that other people are using for illicit stuff. Because I get it. Tunnels are a great place to do bad things. Yeah, it's easy. It's dark. No one knows you're you're down there, probably. But it also kind of reminds me of, um, my God, what is the... the Catacombs. Yeah, Paris catacombs. Catacombs? Catacombs? I can never say it right. Catacombs, catacombs, whatever. It reminds me a little bit of that because yeah. people get lost down there. And I feel like this, maybe things are blocked off enough that you can't really explore where you're not supposed to. But I'd be nervous to just like freely walk into a city. It's so dangerous just itself because these structures aren't taken care of and it's abandoned and it's not really meant for mm-hmm. you to go beyond the beaten path. But yes. you could totally get lost. That's my biggest fear. Yeah, 100%. Granted, I have a million biggest fears, so it's one of them. But that's really cool. We should go. Let's do it. 100%. Okay. Okay. So you took it super literal in terms of like haunted underground. I did more tunnel type of scenario. But I I want to now go like do a deep dive on like other underground cities. Like it's like, oh, I almost did this lake, Lake Lanier, Lanier. It's a whole lake that was built over a city and like the buildings are still at the bottom of the lake. Oh my gosh. Oh, okay. Well, one we'll day. figure out another topic to do where you can okay. cover that one because I want to hear about that. Well, I did haunted tunnels and I chose the tunnels in Portland, Oregon, which has a very special place in my heart because it's where I ran my second marathon and I almost got my sub four hour goal, but I had to pee in the middle of the race and missed it by like a minute and a half. And I was so sad. Damn, peeing. Oh, shoot. Wait, how do you stop to pee in the middle of the race? Are there set up? Yeah, they have porta potties. I was so sad. Okay. I just wasn't sure if like people wear diapers or like you have a little bag. I am sure some people do. That sounds awful. Because you have to be drinking water probably too during it. So it's like. A lot happens. It's the only one I've ever had to pee in the middle of. And I think it's because you're sweating so much that usually like all the liquid you are taking in just sweats co- comes out through your sweat. So you don't usually have to pee, but I had to in this one, but it's okay. Oh, shoot. 
But yeah, it's such a special city. It's so pretty. It has the best pizza and beer. And they have Powell's Bookstore, which is the coolest bookstore. It's like the one of the largest independently owned bookstores. And they have Voodoo Donuts. Ooh, yes. I've had them because my friend Sim, a few years ago, he was like road tripping from Vermont and he hit up all of the places that all of our friends live. So he went to like Chicago and then Colorado and LA and Seattle and it was just like everywhere. And he brought me Voodoo Donuts. Or I mean, sorry, not Seattle, Portland. They just actually opened a Voodoo Donuts in LA, but the OG one is in Portland. And anywho, before I get into the Haunted Underground, which is fun and spooky, and I'll get to it soon, I want to talk about the city itself. And it's known as the City of Roses because roses thrive in the climate. It's the 25th most populated city in the U.S. And it was named after Portland, Maine, which is your favorite place, your future home. Yes, the OG Portland. The OG Portland, also where Stephen King was born and raised, and also where he sets most of, if not a lot of his books. The settlement of Portland began around the 1830s, so it's not that much younger. No, it's not that much older than Seattle. It was near the end of the Oregon Trail, and so everyone kind of like would pour off towards Portland. Not everyone, but people would, and so Portland was settled after, Mm -hmm. during the Oregon Trail time, and people thought it was great because it had all this water access, which would be really good for transportation of goods. And then by the 20th century, Portland was the most dangerous port city in the world. And it was known for its organized crime, gangsters, gun battles, racketeering, and many deaths. But then after World War II, and in the 1960s, Portland became a very progressive city full of counterculture. It's now known as the world's most environmentally friendly cities, And most of the residents choose to walk or ride bikes. There's plenty of public transportation and they have very high quality food services with like farm to table type of scenarios. It's basically the Amsterdam of the U.S. And it's It's very granola. Also ranked as the or it's consistently ranked for the highest quality of life in the United States, which basically just makes me want to move there because I need to take care of myself a little bit more. And Portland seems like the place I can do it. (laughs) Yes. So Portland's no stranger to crime, horror, and ghosts. And there is a place in Portland where you can find all three of those. It's called the Old Portland Underground or the Shanghai Tunnels. And the tunnels are actually a topic of much debate among historians but no one can disagree that the tunnels were in fact used for a wide range of purpose, which are not all so pleasant. They originally were made to transport supplies from the port to different restaurants and buildings and hotels and businesses throughout the city. And they connect the old town Chinatown neighborhood to the main business section. And the underground, while built for good purposes, was also used for many illicit businesses like mobs and like mob crimes. And in the 19th century, the tunnels were the place for illicit crime. So like, you know, you're asking your buddy, Frank, hey, where are you going tonight? Tunnels? Yeah. Good. <laughs> See you there. <laughs> yeah. I'm sure that's how they talked. 
Yeah, man. Yeah, tunnels. man. Shh, don't tell anyone. But it's believed people were murdered in the tunnels and then the bodies were dumped. Plenty of fights were fought all in the dark of the night and underground kept them protected. There were opium dens, secret boxing rings, jail cells, and those are not the worst things that have gone down in the tunnels. If you're familiar with the term Shanghaiing, you probably already know why the tunnels are called Shanghai tunnels. So I always thought Shanghaiing was a basically a term used for human trafficking, which it kind of is, but it's more specific. It's the practice of kidnapping people and then forcing them into labor on ships, on boats, which seems crazy, but I guess there's a whole... So slavery, basically? So basically during the early 20th century, no one wanted to work on the ships because it was dangerous. And so they had a hard time enrolling people to do that kind of work, but they needed someone to do it. And they needed people to go from the U.S. cities to Alaska and other distant, other far distances. And there was a law in effect during this time in the early 20th century that said once an American sailor was signed on board a vessel for voyage, that it was then illegal for them to try to leave the ship before the end of the trip. So basically, Shanghaiing, the way that they used this to retrofit the rule is that they would kidnap people from their homes or businesses or bars or wherever they were, and they would drag them onto the ship, force them to sign in on the log. And if they tried to escape legally, they had the right to put them in the jail or kill them. So insane. That is insane. Yeah. So they used Shanghai and they would kidnap people, force them on the boat. And then, um, yeah. And people got paid to do this. They were called crimps and they got paid to go find people to force onto the ships. So they would go to bars and they'd find like the drunkest guy on the ship or on the, at the bar drag him into the tunnels like throw him down into the tunnels and then drag him through like the water over to the pier where the boats were or the ports where the boats were and then throw them on the boat yeah and it was so common in portland that portland became known as the shanghaiing capital of the world oh bad reputation yeah Yes. And so that is why the tunnels were called the Shanghai Tunnels is because they utilize these tunnels to transport their victims. And they would develop trapdoor systems that they would use when they're passing their next victim down to the other cramps that were waiting in the tunnels. Typically, the men were given drugs or alcohol to subdue them. And then by the time they woke up from this state, they were in and they wouldn't know they wouldn't be able to go back or leave the boat. It's believed that nearly 2,000 individuals were taken during this time when it was popular. And uh, unfortunately, Shanghaiing wasn't limited to forcing men into labor. Several women were also kidnapped, but not to work on boats. And of course, it was to be forced into sex slavery, which is still a horrible issue that our world faces today. And there are many stories of women who became pregnant and were murdered and left for dead in the tunnels. All of these horrible crimes, kidnappings, the mobs, gangs, the illness, and drugs all resulted in death and a lot of negative energy resonating throughout the tunnels. And since this time, people have reported strange, unusual phenomenon that seems to directly connect to the fact that there are spirits that reside in the complex system of tunnels, secret passages, and hidden trap doors. So people who have walked the underground tunnels of Portland report hearing moans, people talking, 
people screaming, the sounds of crying, a real cacophony of pain. And it's possible, some people think that the sounds are residual, like leftover energy, but many people have also seen physical spirits and active ghosts. They've caught EVPs, they've seen spirits do things that are like not typical of residual energy. Also, I just have to comment, when I was writing this, I think I was dealing with some shit because I said... I wrote, it's possible the sounds are residual leftover energy that's stuck deep underground, just like my emotions, buried deep inside. <laughs> Sabrina, do you need to uh, no, uh, Yeah, I talk to you all the time. I talk to Nick. I'm good. <laughs> oh my God. Just like my emotions. I think Dear I utilize the writing, the research for these episodes as like, the the release for my life yeah no that's good (laughs) that's good i feel like i do too okay so the tunnels are full of residual hauntings and energies but they're also intelligent hauntings they're spirits who interact with those who enter the tunnels they appear trapped and lost and they'll sometimes approach visitors or tourists who are in the tunnels which is the only way you can get in actually i think the tunnels are now closed because like they're kind of falling in and caving in but they used to do ghost tours and you could go in Mm -hmm. and people who would go in occasionally would be approached by someone who was not part of their tour group and they looked lost and they would say i'm lost please please help me out and then all of a sudden poof they would disappear so they're interacting with humans but it's so sad because it's clear that all of these ghosts are stuck inside the tunnels and unable to get out there's Well, there are some that are able to like roam around the areas above the tunnels where the restaurants and shops and stuff are. And one of those spirits, her name is Nina. She haunts the portion of the tunnels under what is now called Old Town Pizza. According to paranormal investigators, Nina was a victim of Shanghaiing. She was kidnapped, sedated, and thrown into the trap door below where Old Town Pizza now is. And it was all an effort to force her into sex slavery. But the way that she fell into the tunnel resulted in her landing on her neck, snapping it, and it caused her to die. I know. Oh, God. That's just it's so that's sad. Horrible, horrible, horrible. And so people in the pizza parlor often get a whiff of her perfume, and so do many people who travel through the tunnels. They'll all smell her, and she's known to appear in physical form and to tug on the clothing of people who pass by. She's sometimes seen as a lady in white. Other times she's seen as a lady in a black dress, which makes me think that there may be are two different spirits. Or Nina has the ability to change her wardrobe in the afterlife, and I want to know her secrets. She seems to stay close to the tunnels <laughs> under the parlor or the pizza place itself. And she also likes to stand on the balcony, and she'll look out to people and like wave to them as if she's like a little celebrity, and she just enjoys it. Um, she's most often active in the early morning or late at night at closing time. And she's been seen floating or moving through the restaurant. She moves chairs or items on the tables and in the kitchen. And she basically like wants people to know that she's there. She's not trying to scare them. It's just that like, Hey, I'm here and I'm moving this. So, you know, that I'm here kind of thing. And people have heard her footsteps tapping across the floor late at night there was one employee who was alone in the kitchen after closing and he was finishing up like his work chores and he heard the soft tapping of footsteps coming toward him. He looked up and saw a female form dressed in a long black dress walking towards him. 
When this female entity Nina saw him looking at her, she stopped and looked at him before going down the basement steps toward the blocked-off tunnel. So she's just, like, walking around. Another common haunting has to do with the death of over 100 men who were forced into working on a boat called the Jennifer Joe. And it was around 1902 when over 100 men were all drugged, kidnapped, and forced onto the Joe throughout a period of probably a few days in order to work and be the labor for the ship. So they would take one person, they would drag them to the ship, and they'd put them down in the like bowels of the ship and chain them to whoever else was in there. So by the time the boat was ready to go, over 100 men were down in the bowels of the ship, handcuffed to each other. And unfortunately, they never left the dock, and they never got to see their families again, because while the boat sat in the Portland Harbor, it began to sink. And because all 100 men were chained together, no one survived. They all drowned. Oh my gosh. Oh, that's... I'm just picturing it in my head and like the fear yeah, that those so men would feel Yeah, in that moment. How helpless. But their spirits still often are seen and it's every year on the anniversary of their drowning at sea, they actually all... People have seen and heard the rush of hundreds of men running into the tunnels as if they're trying to get revenge upon the people who kidnapped them or they're trying to get home, which is very sad. Various witnesses have seen them, heard them, and been touched by them. And there's also, in the Portland tunnels, there is, um, people believe that there are many shadow figures and they have seen a shadow figure with red glowing eyes and people who have seen and described what a typical shadow person is described as, like, darker than darkness. And there's a male entity who's not good, but he's not evil. And people believe he worked as a bartender and actually made some extra cash by assisting the crimps in kidnapping people. And so when he worked at this bar, he had access to one of the, like, hatches to the tunnel, and he would let the crimps bring incapacitated Mm -hmm. victims into the tunnel to allow them to get kidnapped. And so now it's believed that he is haunting the tunnels, which actually I don't feel bad about because it's probably a punishment for the wrong he did. He tries to scare people and employees in the Lotus nightclub, which is now what exists above where he worked as a bartender. And he'll like scare people and then people will start to hear evil, like maniacal laughter as if he's getting pleasure out of it. There was one bartender who works at Lotus Nightclub who was working late one night and he heard something downstairs in the basement. So he goes down there and doesn't see anything, but then he all of a sudden hears something upstairs. He runs up there and he sees an entire glass like flipped upside down, which had not been there before. He was the only person in the bar and he thinks that the ghost just went up there, took a drink, finished it real quick and slammed the glass upside down as like people would do with shots and stuff. And there was residue of liquid in the Mm -hmm. glass. Whoa. Who knew? Ghosts like to drink. There's another story uh, related to the ghosts of gangsters. So there's a story about uh, during the Prohibition years, the gangsters ran a speakeasy out of one of the basements. And it was connected to another business upstairs on Stark Avenue. 
And one night, a rival gang showed up wearing stolen Portland policemen uniforms, and they came armed with Tommy guns and axes, and everyone was panicking. People were running, trying to escape through the tunnels, but the killers came close behind them and basically cornered them into the tunnel and killed every single last one of them. Jesus, so much death. Yeah. So today, a pub called Scoot McQuaid's Bar and Grill is above the area where the massacre took place, and patrons and employees of the establishment are no strangers to these ghostly apparitions, many of which appear in groups climbing out from the tunnels, and they all appear in the pub. They'll, like, rush out. They'll knock over drinks and food trying to run for the front door, and they never make it, which is so sad. It's just, like, which makes me think it's residual haunting. It's people trying to get away and run and then... As they reach the door, they vanish. But it's sad because it seems like all these mm-hmm. ghosts are kind of stuck to this place of such horror for them. Uh, Ghost Adventures right. also did a episode on the Portland Tunnels. And Zach caught some EVPs. And he was, like, joking with a sex worker. He was joking with the the ghost of Nina. Sorry, not a sex worker. She was forced into slavery. But he was joking around with Nina and they caught an EVP where Nina told him to get naked, which I'm like, BS. I doubt Nina wanted that. Uh, that bothers me. Me too. That's why these shows are not, they're not all real. There's no way. They fake a lot of the shit. Anyway, sorry. <laughs> it's true. You heard it here first. It's fun folks. to watch sometimes, but they're also fake. Anyway. Or Zach also caught thermal imaging, like a, a form of a ghost without legs, and it was following Nick, poor Nick. And a few minutes later, Nick like actually fainted because he was so lightheaded. So they believe that this ghost that was following Nick kind of like went through him or something happened that caused him to faint. I actually asked a bunch of people on our Facebook page who, if they had gone and a lot of people had actually gone or been to haunted locations in Portland. Apparently, there are many. Oh, I did see that you posted that, but I, it was like right when you posted, so I didn't see if anyone had actually commented. Yeah, a bunch of people. Uh, one person like saw or like felt a girl tap her on the shoulder when she turned around. No one was behind her. Yeah, but I, but I think they're closed now because of the tunnels caving in. But maybe they'll open up again and then we'll go. I don't know. It seems fun. Yeah. Those are the Portland tunnels. Or terrifying or horrible. horribly sad. Horribly sad. But also very interesting. Super interesting. My gosh, there's so much death in Isn't that every this. episode? Are we surprised? People have to die to I be guess, a ghost. Yeah, I could, because you, <laughs> in order to have spirits, someone must die. Yeah. So dark. It's like we skipped over all of the true crime part. It just went straight yeah. up into yeah. being dead. But you know what? It gives you hope because it's not whatever you believe. Life might not be it. There's more. There's more beyond. Right. It's interesting that Portland has such a dark past, and yet, like, right now, it's – everyone is, like, so focused on taking Mm -hmm. care of themselves and others and volunteering and clean eating and, like, just being the best version of themselves. It's just kind of interesting how much has changed. The flip. The switch. That's a good thing. All right, listener stories. What do you got? Listener stories. Okay. So I have an email from Michaela. It's called Bloody McKenzie. Remember him? <gasps> Wait, we remember him? Yes. From Scotland. From the, uh, 
Greyfriars Kirkyard. Yes, the Grey. Fr- gray- oh my God, why? Why am I stuttering Teamwork. so much? We did it. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Woo, okay. Hopefully, I don't stutter my way through this email too. Okay. Hey, ladies. I recently found your podcast and I've been binging it ever since. I've listened to about 40 episodes in the course of two weeks and have definitely had some scary late nights, lol. (laughs) Anyways, I wanted to wait until catching up to email you guys, but in one of your episodes, you talked about a ghost I've actually had an encounter with. What? So I figured I'd go ahead. In your episode, Rest in Peace, you mentioned George McKenzie, and I had a less than positive experience with him about three years back. Which is his... That's his um, reputation, right? He's not a good guy. No, no. He's a a bit of a wild ghost and scares the crap out of people when they go into the mausoleum. So to set the scene, I did a study abroad trip to Scotland back in June of 2016 with some of my schoolmates. We stayed in Edinburgh a couple of nights. And we stayed a couple of nights. And one of those nights, we took a break from the pubs and went on a haunted tour of Greyfriars Kirkyard and the underground tunnels of the city. I'd been in the graveyard earlier that day to find the grave of Tom Riddle and hadn't really had any negative feelings, but things took a drastic turn when we went back that night. I was one of the only believers in the group and probably a little more daring (laughs) than the rest of my friends. A bad combination, really. Our tour guide gave us a tour of the graveyard and told us various ghosts that had been spotted and prominent people now resting here. It was all really fascinating, and the last stop in the graveyard was the mausoleum of Bloody Mackenzie. I'd spotted this grave earlier and was instantly fascinated and drawn towards it, so I was pretty excited to hear the story behind the grave. Our tour guide stopped in front of the mausoleum and said that if anyone was brave enough, they could go look into no. the broken window. Being the daring and idiotic person that I am, I quickly stepped up and looked inside before stepping back and mumbling to my friend, <laughs> Well, that was kind of a letdown. And as our guide started telling us the story of Bloody McKenzie, my throat started to get tighter, and it almost felt like I was having a panic attack. My hands were shaking, I couldn't breathe, and I was starting to get lightheaded as the tour guide finished up the tale of McKenzie's deeds. We made our way out of the graveyard after that, and as soon as I left the grounds, Whoa. all the symptoms went away, and I felt completely fine again. Our next stop was the underground tunnels that had been used in the city for hundreds of years. While we were in the tunnels, our guide told us about its history, its hauntings, and the ghosts who make it their home. And as we're walking through the tunnels, I keep hearing these heavy boots walking behind me. But every time I turn around, I couldn't figure which one of my friends was wearing boots. We paused at the end of the hall, and I felt one of my friends right behind me, breathing heavily in my ear. I rolled my eyes Mm -hmm. as I figured it was just one of my friends trying to scare me. It wasn't until one of them shoved me forward that I got upset enough to turn around and confront whoever was being an ass. Well, I turned around, and there was a clear few feet between me and the closest person. I asked which one of them had shoved me, but they all looked at me, as confused about it as I was. That's when our guide overheard us and told us about the guard who attacks women. Oh, great. That's the time to tell you. (laughs) (laughs) Be careful. All of the hair on my body stood up, and I decided that I wanted to leave the tunnels immediately, but stuck it out for the last few minutes, probably against my better judgment. Our tour guide finished not too soon after that, and some of us went to the pub just outside of the tunnels, but the most of us made our way back to the hotel. My roommate and I make our way back to our room, and we're getting ready for bed when she asks me, what's on my neck? I look at her confused before going to the bathroom (sighs) and looking in the mirror. 
I had four red bruise-like marks on my neck that upon closer look appeared to be fingerprints. Those marks hadn't been there before the tour, and they were gone when I woke up the next morning, but they definitely freaked out both me and my roommate. I took a couple photos of my neck to show my friend the next morning, but when I pulled them up at breakfast, something was wrong with the photo and it wouldn't display properly. (gasps) We avoided Greyfriars Kirkyard for the rest of the trip, and I still get uncomfortable when I think about that night. Wow. Love the podcast, and see you on the other side, Michaela. I, okay, not only did she experience Bloody Mackenzie, but she also experienced a terrifying guard. Oh my gosh. Yeah, she had double paranormal experience on one tour. Everything. It must have been worth, was it worth the money though? Mm -hmm. It's like you get a lot of experiences. That's kind of why you went to be all spooked and see if you could see something. But right. she didn't just – she was attacked in both spaces violently. And it was both around her, like, neck and head region, which is kind of – that's scary. I just imagine someone, like, following behind her and, like, just seeing this girl who looks like she keeps, like, tripping or, like, jolting forward. And you're like, what? Are you okay? And then she turns around like, stop touching me. And it, no one's there. Yeah. To be that horrified – to realize that something was standing between you and the next person, too. You're just like, oh, my God, I hope it doesn't turn around and target me. Is it bad that, like, I still want to go and do these tours? <laughs> As you look at me like I'm a crazy person. Oh, okay. <laughs> you gave me a look like I was a psycho, so I wasn't sure. No. There's part of me that wants to do it, too. <laughs> No, no. I was just trying to tell myself that I shouldn't feel that way, but I too agree with you. It's just there's something inside of us that's tempted to do these things, even after hearing the horrible. It's like, I don't know. You can liken it to so many different things where it's like, you know, you shouldn't do something or maybe you shouldn't partake in this or that because something horrible happened to someone else there. But then you're like, oh, but it won't happen to me. Yeah. And then it does. And you did it to yourself. I do wonder, though, if she would have, if she hadn't looked into the mausoleum and if she hadn't said that was a letdown, if anything would have happened to her. I feel like she would have left unscathed. But because she said, screw you, kind of like a a negative comment, Bloody McKenzie was like, yeah, you don't mess with Bloody McKenzie. Yeah. Okay. I have a story from Dawn. It's called Haunted Underground Railroad Safe House. Hey gals, a few years ago, I went on an overnight ghost hunt at a home called Prescott Place in Dresden, Ohio. This house was used by slaves seeking freedom from the South as a stopping point and safe place along the Underground Railroad. While there are many stories of hauntings at this location, I'm going to tell you my story from my visit. I am very sensitive towards all things ghost-related, so as we approached the house, I was picking up ghostly vibes from the house. I took a lap around the house before the guided part of the overnight stay began, and I told the spirits that anyone who wished to communicate with me was welcome to, but that they could not follow me when I left. The tour guide, who was also the current owner of the house, took us around the house and told us the history of Prescott Place as well as the hauntings which people have recorded. One of the stories was about a young neighbor girl who had come to play during the winter. The little girl got sick while she was there, and since the weather was so bad, she was forced to stay the night. She became so overwhelmed with fever that she was in a complete daze. She left the bed she was sleeping in and unfortunately fell through a huge window at the end of the second floor hall to her death. Being in the middle of the winter, the ground was frozen, which meant there was no way to bury her properly. 
as most homes back then had a shallow pit in the basement where they would sometimes keep meat and other perishables and would cover it with ice or snow, they decided to keep the little girl there until they could dig a grave. The little girl was said to be seen and heard playing in the house, especially the attic where her playroom was. So my boyfriend and I headed to the basement as soon as the self-guided hunt started. We were the only ones down there. He was in front of me and no one behind me. I felt a strong hand squeeze my right shoulder and I nearly jumped out of my skin. Not wanting to seem like I was pretending something happened, I said nothing to my boyfriend. We headed to the attic after a couple of hours and right away I could sense a presence. I was sure it was the little girl and my heart ached for her. We stayed up there for almost 45 minutes as I could plainly see a small figure darting back and forth in the corner. I figured maybe she would make herself known if we talked to her. And the whole time we were up there, the calf of my right leg felt like it was on fire. It was a very uncomfortable burning sensation, and I mentioned it to my boyfriend and said, maybe we should leave the attic. We then went to the second floor of the house to the children's bedroom. We were sitting on a bed facing away from the door, and the window, which the little girl had fallen from, was in the hall right next to the room we were in. I was talking about how sad it must have been for the family of that little girl when all of a sudden we hear a blood-curdling scream come from right outside in the hall by the window. We knew where everyone else was at the time because we had all had to make sure to announce to the others when any of our groups were entering a room or a floor, so no one was in this hall with us. I freaked out. Then we heard heavy booted footsteps coming down the hallway. I asked who was there and got no answer. I said, do you want us to leave? Plain as day, I heard a loud, angry male voice say, yes. And the footsteps stopped in the doorway of the room we were in. I turned around and no one was there. I told my boyfriend he could stay if he wanted, but I was going to respect this man's home and go outside to wait. I wouldn't have stayed either. If someone tells you to leave, leave. Yes. Respect their wishes. She says, my boyfriend reluctantly followed me out, and by now my leg was on fire. I told him to shine the flashlight on me so I could see if I got bit by something, and to my horror and disbelief, there were three huge claw marks on my leg. I was done, and I wanted to get out of there ASAP. As we were loading up, a few members of our group came out of the barn adjacent to the house, and we asked if they had heard a loud scream. Everyone said no. We reround the recording device we had been using, and just as I had suspected, the screams, the footsteps, and the yes were not caught on the recording. Only we had heard it. We left immediately, and for the next two nights, I had the most horrible nightmares. And what of the scratches, you may ask? Well, within a five-minute time frame, the raw, almost bloody marks were gone. As scared as I was, there are still plenty of haunted locales that I still want to visit, and have done two at another lesser-known haunted home where I was one of about three in the group of 12 people who the spirits wanted to interact with. That, my friends, is a story for another time. See you on the other side, Dawn. Can you imagine having those, like, deep markings on you? Oh. No. To just, both of our stories were people who were being attacked. This is so awful. Well, it's also crazy that for both of them, the marks almost went away instantly. Right. It's so strange, like how it is strange. an entity can hurt you in a way that's so different from our world and how our bodies get injured. Right. It makes me too, like I'm, I would love, uh, I want like a doctor to be there observing it and being, <laughs> I want to know what the skin goes through, like what your body actually goes through. Is it right. really, truly, does your body think it was injured like a normal injury or does something in us know? 
Right. That it's a different type of injury. Or is it similar to just the way you see something that's paranormal? Like it's there for a moment and then disappears. And so anything that they do follows the same type of pattern. Wow. This could be a whole podcast in and of itself. Injuries by ghosts. Ooh. 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 Yes. We're not doing that. It scares Why me not? too much. <laughs> All right. Someone well, else then could do whenever- it. I'll do it. Okay. Your spinoff, Sabrina's individual show. No, I'm just going to pick a random episode where you think we're doing one topic, and I'm just going to surprise you by doing so many scary stories. Wonderful. Wonderful. Yikes. Wow. Oh, my goodness. That house sounds so haunted, and it, I, know. I mean, Underground Railroad safe house, I'm sure it has plenty. Right. Of stories and so much history. The little girl that was like shadowed and kind of running from one side to the other. I don't know. It just all kind of spooks me. It's creepy. It scares me. Also, you know that I live like two doors down from one of the Underground Railroad uh, houses in Beacon Hill. That is so cool. Yeah, there's always tour groups right outside of my window. Wow. So I wonder what's happened there. Now I want to look into We should just do like an underground railroad episode i'm literally as we speak adding that to our um excel i know that we have a bunch of listener emails about underground railroad yeah yeah that would be fascinating let's do that just out of that okay wow okay well if you have any ghost stories about underground cities whether it's seattle or portland or anywhere in the world or just ghost stories in general please send them to us email them to us at two girls one ghost podcast at gmail.com that's the numbers two and one are spelled out, not the numbers. And we have a variety of ways to support us. You can mm-hmm. tell everyone about us. That's probably one of the best <laughs> things. And yes. another awesome thing is to rate and review us on iTunes. It helps keep us uh, towards the top of the charts and helps other people find our podcast. Yes. Um, we just want to give a shout out also to Eric Foster at Upfire Digital for editing this episode and all of our Sunday episodes. It's is wonderful and we appreciate it very mm-hmm. much you're very talented thank you um you guys know the rest here at every week social media patreon merch yeah just support us you've all tuned out by now anyway <laughs> just kidding i hope not <laughs> we will see, see you on the other side very spooky